I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. Uh, this week is the second episode of our chat with Anthony Parasoli. Uh, if you didn't tune into the first one, just a quick recap. He's part of, I don't know what they would call it, I guess the New York House Renaissance type crew. Uh, he runs around with people like LeVon Vincent, DJQ, Fred P, Josed, Joey Anderson, you know, names like that. Um, he also co-runs Deconstruct with LeVon Vincent. And on his own, he runs a pretty awesome label called The Corner. So check that out if you're a DJ. Um, on the DJ tip, he's a resident at Output in Brooklyn. And he's also a resident at Bergheim in Berlin. So we got a lot to get into. A uh, couple quick things. Sorry this episode got up a little late. I had airport drama and was stranded for a while. But I'm home and I'm ready to get this out. Uh, one other nice thing. I received an email that I'm on the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. Actually, it was a couple weeks ago. I'm just slow. Um... Honestly, I have no fucking clue what that is, but anyway, it's a thing, and apparently it's, uh, it means it's doing well, so I'm happy about that, and uh, if you're part of making that happen, thank you. Uh, a couple other quick things I want to get into before we go through the interview. Um, some of the feedback I've been getting in is really great. I appreciate it. Keep it coming, whether it's uh, just stuff to boost my ego, or whether it's... Uh, Constructive criticism. Uh, death threats are fine too, but uh, keep those to a minimum. Anyway, some promoters are writing in and they say that they really appreciate the insight from other DJs and people we've had on the show about what makes for a great night or a perfect uh, setting. And uh, that means a lot to me. I have to agree that I think these details are what separate uh, events and other parties from being... Um, an adequate night out versus becoming a legendary institution that uh, everybody around the world would either like to play at or hang out at. Um, a couple other promoters also, again, have said they're getting back into the fold. Uh, you know, they're they're excited again based on what they've heard. And yeah, so to me, that's some of the best feedback you can get. And uh, the last quick thing, basically... Uh, a lot of people, well, not really a lot, probably like five have written in and they're like, uh, when are you coming to insert whatever city you're living in? And this is something that, uh, I've thought about a lot of times in the past, and this is a good platform to discuss it. I don't really think people know how the booking part of the music industry works. Uh, for example, you know, if you go on Facebook or Twitter or something and you tweet to your favorite band, DJ or comedian or whatever and say, uh, come to Chicago or when are you coming to Paris or something like that, that stuff is encouraging. It's good to know that you have fans in these places, but those messages aren't really going to do anything. This is how it works. Performers don't really get to decide which cities they want to go to unless you're really at the you know highest level you can get to. And even then, you're still limited. You can't play the same city eight times a year just because it's your favorite city. Well, you could, but it comes at a cost. Anyway, um, it is decided by the fans and the demand within that city. 
So let's say today you sit through this podcast and you decide that myself or Anthony seem like a cool dude and you check out some DJ sets and you're like, I definitely want to see one or both of these guys in my city. Um, the only way that we're going to end up coming to play in your city is if people like you talk to the promoters or the venues that are in charge of doing shows that cater to our kind of music. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to happen because why would they take the risk on a show uh, that could potentially lose money if there's no fans? So there you have it. If you're interested in either of us or anybody you want to see, you got to start at your local level, talk to people and build up a buzz. And I'm sure the people will be there before long. Enjoy the interview. Thanks. There's two There's two sides to that. Like, you know, with... with the internet today, you play a set, you, or you make a good record, or you you put out a good podcast, right? It can go one or two ways. The first person goes on there and go, man, that was fucking exceptional. Great stuff. Life-changing. Mm-hmm. And then that'll set the whole tone thereafter. But if that first person goes on there, and they're like, he fucking sucks, man. He yeah. train wrecked the whole fucking set. He's garbage. He looks mean. And then it just becomes a pile on, you know, and it, snowballs. It yeah. snowballs, and and that's like something that I've noticed over the last few years. You know, it's like it's re- it gets dictated by that first one. Sometimes you have someone who really loved it, and they they kind of like you know, nah, that nah, that was good, you know, and it kind of br- brings mm-hmm. it to like a middle ground. But a lot of times, that first post man will set the whole Big tone. Time. You know, it's it's funny because like when you think about it these days, like you know. Things are starting to crack when you get a lot of these comments like, oh, man, this guy is awesome. He's like my new favorite DJ or producer, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, I think I'm onto something. I'm still not sure, but it seems like it's warming up. Now, you know when you made it. Yeah, you know when you made it is when people start telling (laughs) shit. And you're like, "Uh, you know, I liked him one, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, I made it. That's it. Yeah. Game over. Aspiring producers and, and DJs, you know you made it when someone tells you you suck. Yeah, exactly. And then they really, you really know you made it when they tell you you suck to your face because I've had that happen many times. <laughs> True story, man. And then you really know you've made it when you go to a club and there's a guy outside the club selling the, t- the bootleg T-shirts with your face or your name and stuff like that. I've seen that in Italy, not of me because nobody gives a shit about me, but of other bigger names. Yeah, I'm just so- like, fuck, man, that's rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great stuff, man. But it, it's we joke and we laugh, but it's, it's really true. You know? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, like this is something that I've had a real hard time adjusting to is – You'll be out in the party or you just finished DJing one or the other and you're kind of like decompressing, right? Mm. And there's always that one person that'll come up to you and be like, wow, that was a great set, but I hate when you did this transition into this and I didn't like this or yeah. I love the label, but I didn't like your last record. You know, it's always like, here's the compliment and then this is what I don't like. You know? Why can't totally. You? It drives happens, me nuts. It drives me nuts. It happens all the time. And that was a huge, um, that was a huge adjustment for me of like how... How do I, how do I handle? First, it was like startling. Like you just told me I suck. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like I was like, I can't. I, I couldn't like compute it. You know. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't mind feedback if it's. I don't mean uh, you know constructive criticism or whatever yeah. you want to call it. And it's like even if they say like uh, maybe you shouldn't have dropped those two deeper tracks or something like whatever. Opinions are okay, but then when you get too detailed 
or too nitpicky, it's ridiculous. Totally. You know? Like a few weeks ago, I had it where I played like a four-hour set, three decks, uh, multiple genres, blah, 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 just really pulling it all together. And then I had like one or two mixes that were shitty, but I saved them. I didn't even wreck out or anything. Yeah. And, of course, the first thing that I heard about when I got off the decks is, like, how people were booing because I fucked up twice. I'm like, dude, seriously, all that work I just put in in four hours and I kept the whole place going? Yeah, and you drifted. (laughs) Yeah, and you're pissed because I got two bad mixes in? Fuck you, like, you know? I I know, man. I don't give a shit about bad mixes. I give a shit about when they're all bad mixes, but you know what? Rough mixes happen. It happens, especially if you're a human being, man. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to pull shit off here, you know, throwing in acapellas and drum loops and just, like, random shit. I can play fucking 12 tracks an hour from like A to B and and do nothing special. If you want perfect mixing, I can do that. But otherwise, like, what's the point, you know? I agree. I mean, it's it's tough right now in in, in this because there are DJs syncing on the CDJs. And the listeners become very, very accustomed to hearing perfect sets. Mm -hmm. Like, spot on perfect. You know, and there's no break in the music, and it's supposed to be a certain way, and then they add the white noise here, and, mm. you know, and it's like these, like, kind of textbook techno sets, and they've been trained to think that this is the way it goes, and that's kind of like, you know, all over the globe, it's not just one place. So when shit starts drifting, man, or, you know, it's like, yo, it's live house or live techno, it's, you know, it's, it should, it should, you should appreciate that the person's actually sweating on the decks and on the turntables. Totally. That's just my opinion, you know? No, I mean, that. that's definitely how it goes. And honestly, this is how it always has been. I mean, like, even like Jeff Mills, for example, yeah. before he switched to CDJs, I mean, he was still a badass DJ, but he had plenty of, of loose mixes, even listening to, like, exhibitionists and all that stuff. But that's because he was doing work. He was trying to make shit happen. And now I think people these days wouldn't actually know that, or at least newer fans, because he's been on the CDJs and it's made him a lot more efficient and tighter. But, yeah, yeah it's... Uh, you know, at least this is something we can complain about. Whereas before, we were complaining that everybody was on the computer, yeah, or no, whatever. It's cool, you know, man. you know, shit happens. Like last, my last closing set, I was playing records, and then uh, the needle popped on the record, mm-hmm. and then it created like a, a almost like a feedback loop, right? And then it jumped again, then it jumped again, and then it slid a little, and then it caught the groove. Mm-hmm. And once this happened. The amount of vibrations that occurred a few times uh, sent the feedback in the in this loop back into the mixer, and what occurred was I couldn't raise the CDs because it was the feedback swell was was bleeding on the other channels. So then eventually the needle slid across the record, and the music stopped. And I, as I was trying to still try to pull up the CD, uh, it was still swelling. I had to shut the sound off completely. Live house, Damn. Live, live techno, full you know? house at that too. Yeah, yeah, like full house. I had to stop it because if I didn't, the sound system might have exploded. Like full, full on, straight up, straight up. Like there was no, no I'm not, it's not even like an exaggeration, you know. And like the DB meter blew out completely from the from the from the electric. And like these are these are things that happen when you, when you you don't have a, a safety net. Yeah, well, I mean. There's not much you can do in that situation, but you just gotta kind of keep yeah. it together and do what you can, you know. You know, and then like you know, you play after or before somebody who might play a perfect set, you know, and and it's, you know, 
hitting with a button, you know, and that, that happens, you know, and it's part of the game. I'm, I'm cool with it. Yeah, you got to be a, like part of it is how you roll with the punches, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sucks because when you <laughs> when you leave, it'll be something that you think about. That's what's going to get you. You could have yeah. eight hours prior to that, which were amazing, and it's yeah. still going to be that moment. But, yeah. you know, it's what makes everybody human at the end of the day. You yeah, know? totally. And it, sometimes... It makes well, you better, too. Yeah. I mean, that that's a situation that that particular case is so rare that you can't really plan for that or plan for it in next time. But, you know, those things that you can fix for next time, like you said, it makes you better mm-hmm. or more experienced, you know. There's things now that, like... I, I don't know about you and... I'm sure like in the past few years, because you've been playing so much more in bigger venues or different venues, do you feel more confident as a DJ than ever? I, I, or not really? No, it, for me, it's, it's different things. It's like, I think I've I've always been ex- experienced DJ because I've played rooms, let's say, we'll, we'll use Bergheim as an example because we're here in Berlin, right? But I've played rooms that size in New York City before I ever went on the road. So playing big rooms was not like a new environment. I think what's where I've gotten better is like understanding. Uh, well, different crowds, different I guess crowds, for yeah, different not necessarily re- sizes, yeah, but just different environments, different and- environment. Like the regions is where I've 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 learned because that comes with time, you know. And I think there's different stages to this. I think like I think the first time I played a festival, I was nervous as hell. You know, like one of these mm. like outdoor ones. Definitely, yeah. You know, that was just like a unique experience for me. Like I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like that was like one of the biggest shell shocks in my career. And then, you know, th- th- that was like a hurdle. But like, I think I've gotten better of like understanding, you know, oh, I'm in Italy. And then, you know, they like it like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of like mo- in the last few years, I guess what I'm saying is I'm sure you've built this experience where it's like you walk into a situation you're much more in control of it whereas before you're just like okay now i'm confronted with this for the first time or whatever now like because i feel like uh if i listen to a recording i found on my recorder from let's say two years ago or i refer back to an event from three years ago or whatever i feel like every year i'm just like fuck man if i could go back and do that gig like i would crush it so much more than last time and i guess that's a good maybe i'm full of shit if people want to correct me feel free but i feel like as a dj i'm improving each year and uh which is a good thing because some people just kind of fall flat yeah totally i i believe in like you should oh you know that goes with the sets it's like and why i do what i do is because i want to push myself and get better and, and give better experiences to the audience every time and like if it's adding effects or adding this or adding more textures, you know, and looping like some ambient sounds or vocals over, you know, drum loops and creating like you literally basically creating remixes on the fly, you know, without a computer. I think it's, you know, it's makes you better as a DJ, man, you know, personally. I think, I mean, I've, I've done it all, you know, like everything has this benefit, like experience is experience period, no matter where you get it, you know? Yeah. I think like, you can only do so much in the house. Big time. You, you, all your experience comes on the road, man. And like I said, like, you know, there's like, I tried to explain to like a buddy of mine in New York, you know, there's like these like, there's like these steps you take. They're almost like milestones. You know, you play a big room. Well, first you play a little room. Then you play a big room. Yep. Then you play a bigger room. Then you might play, you know, a, like festival. a, a festival. And like that festival set, like a headlining festival set or something like that, it's like, you know, it's a different experience, man. Definitely. And I there's a lot of pressure. Like, uh, some people don't feel it or not. Like, I personally don't get 
nervous at any of that stuff anymore. The only times I've been nervous in the past couple of years is honestly, like maybe if I'm playing for friends in Berlin or in Minneapolis. But other than that, like I've been pretty calm and collected about shit, fortunately. But there's times where I definitely think I'm not nervous, but I'm stressed because it's like, all right, I am. I got my way to this point to be like the headliner of this stage at the festival or club or something. It's like now you got to put up or shut up. Yeah. And just got to make sure that you're prepared enough to to make it happen and make it worth it everybody's time because a lot of the things that one of the things that especially DJs forget and promoters is that these shows aren't cheap, man. Like some of the shows that you're playing, the, our shows are probably average of at least 20 or 30 bucks a ticket. Mm-hmm. And then people are going to go out and spend double that in drinks or whatever. Like it costs a lot of money to come out and see either of us play. And, uh, you know, I, I consider that. And when people come out, I don't want to let them down. Cause it's, it sucks when you're 21 years old and you walk away spending 80 bucks. And you're like, well, last night was bunk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Totally. um, a lot of people forget that. Like they'll just phone it in. I've never tried to phone it in. I mean, I have shows, Fortunately, I can say most of my shows are pretty good these days. Once in a while, you have a flop because that's just how life is, or weather, or whatever. And even if there's 50 people there only, I still try to deliver because those 50 people paid the 25 bucks to get in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, I feel the same way. Like, I, I've, there's two sides to this. When I used to go out in, in the 90s and I went to go hear a DJ that I really wanted to see. I mean, it was like, this guy, I can't believe he's back in New York. I got to go see him, you know? And I paid to go in. And dude, friggin' like, you know, he did this twice in New York City. He, did, he didn't bring his records and he made the promoter pay for them. And like, they went to like Satellite Records, bought him a bag of records. And then like, you know, like that's straight up phoning it in. Like, and, yeah. I, and, and I was pissed. I was like, you know, man, you know, and then you played like your, your big hit like four times. And then you walked away and like, clearly you just got paid and, and you didn't yeah. give a fuck about the, the audience. And I said to myself, if I ever make it, I'll never be like this guy. And I, and then when I was throwing parties, the complete opposite of that, I, I, I did a little party with me and Patrice Scott and it happened to be a party where I forgot who it was. Uh, who made Deep Burnt? Pepe Bread Rock. Right. He played New York City for the first time in like 10 years. Happened to be on the night that I did Patrice. And, you know, obviously those kind of worlds kind of like, you know, they're similar. So everybody went to this one party. And at the time, New York's, you know, scene wasn't very big. And Patrice played a set like as if the room was rammed, you know. And there was like 25 people in there. And he played amazingly. And I was like, man, that's the way it's supposed to be, you know. Totally. I I never forgot either sides of that, you know, that experience going out. And I was like, man, this guy is a real scumbag. And then, like, when Patrice just, you know, played a fantastic set for a little amount of people. And I was like, I will never, ever, ever, you know, not try to give my best, you know. Never, that'll never happen. I've gone to gigs sick to my stomach. Literally, I mean, physically. Yeah, yeah, same here, man. And, like, did everything in my power to give the best, you know, yeah. experience for the audience. I mean, obviously, nights don't always work out how you want it. Sometimes you're just not feeling it. But I still, at least... I was, if I'm playing two hours, I'll spend the whole two hours trying to get on that wavelength to make it happen. Doesn't always happen, but I will spend it every time I go, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, like, sometimes you want to smash it and it doesn't happen, but, you know, you, 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 you do your best and you give your effort. And, like, I think, like, the audience knows, like, you've given your all. 
I, oh, yeah. I, I think they know, man. I, I, I believe that. And that goes across the board anywhere on earth. Totally. I, w- I had this uh, discussion briefly on a couple episodes ago. We were talking about, like, the audience can feel it, whether you're, uh, well, I don't, want, I don't want to say a politician because people believe liars there. But, like, in the, let's say just in the art realm, like, people can sense the passion or the feeling in it. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, like, totally it doesn't matter if you're a guitarist or you're a fucking DJ. Like, if you play with the feeling, people are going to pull that from you, like that charisma, much more than than you think, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, obviously we, we, we were just talking about how they've a lot of the audience has made up their mind. It's supposed to be one way. But the reality is, the, the, the real irony is, even though the DJing is just counting the four or 16, however you want to put it, conceptualize it no one mixes the same really no not really you, you know? know like i i might you know introduce tracks differently or like you know there's many ways of of you know djing and presenting music and and you know i think as as long as you are giving the experience to the audience i think they can feel that man even though like we were talking about in the past before that you know they had them they might have their mind made up i also think there's a flip side to that like they do know that you're giving your energy and you're trying your best, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I believe that for sure. Big time. Yeah, man. So thanks, people, for giving us a chance to do all that or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> no, like for real. Like, you know, trust me. The I think the DJs know, especially guys who are really touring, really can feel it, man, and they know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's some guys out there that are – they're definitely better producers than DJs, and I don't think they would really uh, run from that fact either. But then they still primarily want to make the money on DJing, and it's like, well, maybe you should start putting in the work to be the DJ too, like yeah. because they're just like, well, I don't need the DJ set up at the house, and I don't listen to techno or house until it's time to go and play a gig, and so Thursday I'll go to the record shop and buy something or go on Beatport. And it's like, well... All right, I get it. If if DJing's not really like a passion of yours, I can't argue that at all. But don't expect to sit there and have like this month where you have eight to ten bookings and you're making tons of money in top slot. Like if you want to excel, you have to put everything into it, just as you would in production or anything else. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you got to be all in. Going Big back time. to the you know the Setroxla statement. Mm-hmm. You know, like I love DJing, man. Me too. Like I mean, and I mean that, like, like that's my craft first and foremost. I'm a DJ, and then second is producer. As much as I love producing and I love curating my labels, number one is DJing, and it's why I take the risks I take. And sometimes they don't work, and sometimes they do. And I put all my passion into my DJ sets. You know, and yeah, I mean, and you can feel it when you when we watch you play too. You know, and it's an important thing. Like for me. Uh, I'm a producer first and foremost, um, or I mean, that's where I kind of have my most fun, but I also love DJing and it is my main profession and I take it seriously. Like all that equipment sitting over there, like the turntables and CDJs and shit. I don't want any of that in the living room, but it's like, (laughs) I keep it right here. Well, first of all, I don't have another room for it, but second of all, it's like, I take this seriously. That's why I have the spaceship set up over there. Cause it's like, I want to make sure when I show up that like, you're going to get a fucking show, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I can't do that if like all that stuff stored away or I don't own the stuff. Like I'm just like, all right, I'm committed and I want people to get their money's worth. So yeah, no, nah, man. I mean, and and you can hear it. Like there's guys you you know 
you just know, you know, yeah. and and you know, like there's this old phase that everyone throws around, especially on the internet, right? Everybody's a DJ. Yeah, okay, that might be true in the sense like everybody is a DJ, but not everybody's a DJ. There's two different things, and you know, I think that 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 tagline shows, man. And as and I think to make it as a DJ, I think that's one of the hardest professions, man. Like if you look at it in, in as as a whole, there's probably only about 200 or 250 people in the whole world like touring internationally and that's like adding you're adding like the EDM guys and you're adding the Skrillexes and you're adding like you know it's less than making like the NBA yeah exactly on, on a, I'm talking about on that high level of touring dude and a lot of those guys make more than the guys in the NBA yeah yeah I've I mean, seen of course Forbes the, and know. like Calvin Harris and those guys are doing like 30, 40 million they're making more money than like the highest paid actors yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. Like I, my stats might be outdated, but I think just recent in the recent years, like the average uh, pay for an NFL kicker was like twenty six grand. Is that it, or does that seem low? But that's low. It's like I think the 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 low the low end guys making about a hundred and change. Okay. Yeah. I wonder where I got that number. But even still, like yeah, and yeah. that that's like you know you're talking about the top of your profession. Hundred grand, no problem. But I mean like. So in the NFL, there's what thirty two teams at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of players, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like fifty something guys on a team, yeah. uh, thirty two teams. You know, it's, it's crazy quadruple the amount of, of of DJs that are actually touring. You know, and then you got to put it in context. You know, let's say like a city like New York City, there's thousands of DJs. How do you get to that next level of like what makes you know you stand out? You need to like create your sound, put in the work. You know, there's a reason why big guys like you or Rahad or Devious One are touring so much because the amount of work that goes into DJ sets are not... Dude, it's incredible, yeah, man. Absolutely. Like, or like Marcel or Ben Clock. These guys put in work. There's a reason why they're... They're digging yeah, all man. the time. People are making it happen. Like, they're addicted to this, you know? Like, yeah. I remember... It's a passion, man. When when I talked to... When I first booked Marco Corolla... I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, I hadn't really had a discussion with him and I was just like, so what do you listen to besides techno? He's like, right now, only techno. And I'm like, really? There's nothing else? He's like, this is what I'm committed to. This is my passion. And some people would be like, that's boring, whatever. But it's like, this is a guy who's like, I'm going to go straight to the top and look at him now. I'm not into his sound, but like, he's one of the biggest DJs on the planet and that's because he's so committed and he's always digging and there's something to be said for that, you know? 100%. And I mean, when he was doing, like, techno, techno, that motherfucker could play, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, like he's... In 2099. Big time. He was a beast. There was people that, like... I had some friends that were, like, diehard Surgeon and Regis fans and, like, the most hardcore shit. And they're like, listen, I'm not into his sound at all, but he's probably got the smoothest technique I've ever seen in my life, you know? It was yeah. incredible to watch him in, in his, like, our, our, what we would consider his prime, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, so. to, to me, in his prime, he was, when, when he was doing that stuff with, like, Reno Cerrone and all those guys, yeah. I, I mean, that was beating techno, man, and I, I love that stuff, and those records I still play. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. I just got a tweet that says, I want to hear about Tribal, and... It's kind of leaning towards that. You've been playing a lot of tribal techno. That's a big part of your sound. I write a lot of New it York. Too. Yeah. So uh, I've personally felt in the past year that like tribal will sort of 
make a comeback. In fact, like that new record you were talking about of mine that's coming out, the whole idea of that was to be a, a tribal record, but I, I made it with synths instead of drums for the drum sounds. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's, you know, after a while the Congo Bongo shit gets a little old, but there's definitely uh, that kind of, primal element to it that was missing for a while and i think it's coming back a little bit yeah i mean like for me personally i i'm always been inspired by organic textures and that goes back to like i guess maybe my hip-hop roots and stuff like that and the older you know stuff that was coming out of the new york sound being techno or house you know old frankie's records are like sampled you know like you said congo bongo stuff or whatever and i i never for me i always you know that's always my go-to stuff if that makes any sense, like, you know, yeah. sonically. No, that makes perfect sense because, you know, it's like I, I asked you earlier, like, what you're feeling at the moment or, like, I asked people, like, what's, like, kind of the essence of their song. They're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I get that, like, being put on the spot if you haven't thought about it, it's hard. Yeah. But it's like that's kind of, like, your go-to song. It's like at the heart of it all, like, this will always work. This could always be like, yeah, this is Anthony Parasoli right here. Yeah, you know totally. What I, mean? I, I think, like... You know, it goes back to Deconstruct number one. The first record we put out, The Invisible Bit Slap, is like a beaten, you know, dance floor tribal record. Mm-hmm. You know, and that came out when that was not even, you know, and I never want to deviate from that. Like, I think those textures are, are really nice, man. Uh, nice not the right word, but like really organic. And I think they're soulful and, and they really treat the room well, man. You know, I love doing it. I really do. And I, I, I don't think it's, it, should, it should have ever gone away personally well i mean that it was just that was the first thing to go when the whole minimal thing yeah kind of clean them and came in and cleaned shop a bit <laughs> and then after that that i think that's kind of why this like stripped down sound that kind of like made the early oscar stuff and whatever so famous is because it's like it was a natural progression from whatever the minimal thing was 10 years ago mm-hmm. and then it's like okay let's just fucking kick it up a bit in aggression and then that's just set the blueprint for the last 10 years is more stripped down and which, hey, if you've heard of my records, you know I'm all about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've released a bunch of tribalish records too, just because that was kind of the the MO for the longest time. I mean, like, you know, there's different kinds of tribal stuff, you know, and I, I clearly I know all of it, right, from mm-hmm. my, from where I come from. But we'll use Jeff Mills because you brought him up a bunch. All those Purple Maker records are, you know, old Congo records or Afro-Cuban jazz records chopped up, you know, and I I love that shit, man. Yeah, me too. You know, and I was thinking about it because everybody's making the, like, the sci-fi Jeff Mills ripoffs right now, and I'm like, man, uh, how come nobody's making Purpose Maker ripoffs? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that was, like, the whole late 90s and early 2000s, like, yeah, we've had enough Purpose Maker (laughs) ripoffs. But I wouldn't mind a couple new ones right now just to have in the bag. Well, you know, it's like my my thing is is you know with the, with the way I've been writing and doing so many tribal records over the last couple of years. There's modern ways to doing it now, especially with the tools that are available to us. Like we went, like we were saying before about you know young producers, you know, an electron octatrack. That machine is mind blowing, and if you have a couple of one hits, you can do unbelievable stuff. You know, yeah, definitely. Especially in in the world of tribal men, you, you know, and like making like banging, tri- you know, techno tribal tracks, it's like endless. Totally, and I'll tell you what, even if like, because I mean, that's a fifteen hundred dollar machine, give or take. Uh, you can do the same thing on the computer, like get a machina, like even the first one, you could probably get used for a hundred bucks these days. 
just before you came in, I had Machina open, and it's just like it's so easy to make some cool percussive drum grooves. Yeah. Like I get that at first, if you don't know what you're doing, it sounds really static. But what it comes down to tribal music is it's like you got to have a little bit of velocity in the drums, yeah, a little, a little bit of swing, and then a little modulation doesn't hurt. Set the LFO to the filter or something, and then before you know it, like you got this like cool uh, humanized kind of groove and. Sometimes that's all you need. Throw yeah. in a cool bassline and the track's done. Dude, yeah, man. You know, a little reverb on, on, on some of this stuff. You know, I, for me, I don't relate well to the computer. So I always, sure. you know, t- yeah, yeah. turn back to the hardware. But, you know, I started on, on like, Fred was showing me an, uh, the old 950, the old Akai. And that, and that's, like, my old, that's where I learned how to do this stuff. But, um. Yeah, man. There's the machine, and there's all kinds of stuff that 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 has opened the world of producing. I, I think it's a great time, man. I never use yeah. these little vocal things, but there's like a sample box I heard is pretty good. Dude, I, I got it sitting back here. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, and the nice thing is, is that it's uh, because it's cheap. It has that automatic like sound degradation in the quality, so it almost kind of like gives you that instant like dirty strictly rhythm kind of drums in the hi-hats where it's a little crunchy it's badass yeah it's fucking awesome and it's like 130 bucks or something so it's totally killer you know and like my early like let's say the mdr record i did that on like really cheap secondhand shit like i made that record with the boss black and pink box i forgot what, what number that is it's like you know 202 or something like that yeah or yeah 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 the i thought it was orange but maybe i'm colorblind yeah the black and orange one um you know, and I had that in the sampler, and that's how that that record, was, those records were made. You know, my diary and all that, and, and uh, you know, there's there's definitely cheap ways of doing this and making. You know, if you use the tools correctly, you can make fresh versions of that stuff. It doesn't have to be like ripoffs. That's the thing. Like, I mean, everybody is so concerned with reinventing the wheel with techno. And hey, I wouldn't mind it either. I wouldn't mind being the guy that reinvents techno or something. But the reality is, is that's not going to happen. So I would totally settle for a new set of wheels as long as they're like they're looking good. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I mean, what, that's what it comes down to. All these tracks are the same. I mean, it's the same fucking beat for how many years? So. I mean, let's let's be for real, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to take it in the simplest terms, it's only 16 beats. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can do, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can turn it this, around like, and do... ten BPM range, yeah. You know, there's just only so many... You know, there's just an octave. There's, you know, if you're playing and you have two octaves, you have two hands, there's only so much you could do. There's only so many variables this music can move around. Yeah. So, you know, you want to be fresh and write fresh stuff, but, you know, I think having a classic aesthetic is okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. No, not at all. So... I mean, not everybody's Matthew Johnson. True story. I you mean, that's to me like that's some really next level stuff. Man, he's still such a badass in my opinion. You me know? too, man. Like, he's the reason why I won't do a live show. Yeah, he can. He can just fucking nail it, can't he? Yeah, man. I mean, like to me, it, it's just like you can't duplicate that experience. You know, unless you're, you know, you you, you have that many years under your belt. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's phenomenal, man. Minilog also was, was really good for that as well. Like getting really jammy on it, melodic. But like, you know, for example, I I did about six or seven live sets last year and it was a cool experience and I might do some more again. I don't know, but I kind of feel like, all right, a lot of this is since it's like very loop based or textural, it's kind of like, 
I almost felt like, well, I'm just recreating this live at this point. I should maybe just DJ it out. But with the more melodic stuff, you can kind of like mix in the hooks together or play them at the same time as right. long as they're in the same key. And you get these really cool moments. Uh, and I think there's a little bit more room for that stuff when you're doing that kind of a sound as opposed to like just, you know, pummeling techno, for example. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, there's some live shows that are really impressive, like the Corinne and, the, and like, you know, Blawan and all of them. They're doing some really killer shit or, like, Surgeon. But, like, I really like how Matthew Johnson does it and the, the free form that he's, like, not really stuck inside uh, the sequencer. Exactly. I don't have the skill set for that. Although, like, I've... I broke the sequencer and and like all my new music I'm right I'm playing playing it more but I'm playing it after playing them a few times exactly, I couldn't just yeah. go live be like you know you know dun, 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 you know and just play it right off yeah. the rip like I have to practice first and yeah. then hit record you know and you know he's got the ability to just whatever he hears in his head do it live it's it's a it's a really impressive yeah there's some great acts out there like uh who is uh, I was not so much recently. I guess it was last fall. I was with uh, Rafael Atanasino. Do you know who this guy is mm -hmm. from Italy? Yeah, I play with him. Yeah, nice guy, super nice guy. And like right now, he's doing pretty much like this more kind of beat inside of things, but he's also very melodic. Mm -hmm. There's a video of him playing with Jeff Mills doing the bells online, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, but I saw that. It's one of those guys that can just hop on the keys and start fucking banging it out like Carrie Chandler would or something over a DJ set. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, incredible shit. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I played with him recently for a big party in uh, Naples, and it was the complete opposite of that. He was... Banging like it was like yeah that's it, what it he's sounded, into now yeah, it's it like sounded really like, intense it sounded like Mills early Mills like Trezor Mills but like really banging and there was no keyboards it was just like you yeah know? that's where he's at at the moment yeah but for the longest time he's been a very melodical dude yeah so. and it was a good it was a great live set you know and he was doing the whole nine oh nine experience jamming, it jamming out. and that was dope you know nice um but um yeah like you know there's like you mentioned Kerry Chandler Kerry or like Dennis Ferrer. You know, they don't do it often, but if you ever catch them when they have, like, a Korg Triton or, like, an Oasis and they're playing, man. Yeah, I just saw a video <sighs> recently of Kerry and somewhere here in Europe, he had the Triton on stage. And I want to say it was, uh, I don't know, Warehouse, Manchester. Or so. It doesn't matter where it was, but it was fucking rad. And if, if you're bored, check it out. I don't even, maybe house music isn't even your thing, but it's worth seeing just to see what other ideas are out there for trying shit on. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, there's a video of him playing in Japan. I, I, I like to think it's Air or one of the, or Yellow, one of the clubs. Just write Kerry Channel live inspiration. And he played one of these old classic New Jersey tracks that is not available digitally. It's an old vinyl record. But that record is unbelievable. And you can see him just do the whole thing where, like, he's DJing, he stops it, he's playing all the keys, the chords, it sounds exactly like the record, and then he hits the drums from the TV track that he he must have brought with him. It is fire, dude. Damn. Yeah. And, and, and you know, all the Japanese just losing their mind. Of course. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> Man, I wish I was talented. <laughs> Anyway, uh, man, you drink a little whiskey, you might think you're great. <laughs> if I, well, that's the thing. I'm getting over being sick. If I would have drank a little something, this episode would be. Uh, I'd have more dick jokes at least. <laughs> but we're, I didn't realize we're getting close to two hours. So let's uh, let's take a few questions I found on the internet and then wrap it up, huh? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Do it. Um, some of them are terrible. Some of them are are not. Uh, let's start out with the easy one. Oh, this one's to me. Could 
Could you imagine doing that skydiving that I talked about with Anthony on your lap? I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> uh, Cincy from here in town. Okay. Uh, Jesse Jacob asks, is he finally going to get on the Timberwolves bandwagon now that <laughs> K-Towns is locked up rookie of the year? <laughs> Can they hear this right now? No. Is this no. live? No, it's not live. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, fucking Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you think Henning Bear could be your doppelganger if he would just work out enough? He used to be jacked. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you're a vegan. <laughs> it's true talk, man. I remember, I think it was like leaving or something was also super muscular. And yeah. then once you, I mean, that's, that's just the thing. Like just because you're muscular doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy. I mean, it is, it's a different kind of health. You know I mean, what I'm yeah, saying? There's, but like, there's, it, I also, also think just because you're a vegetarian or a vegan doesn't, doesn't make you healthy. Yeah, yeah there's, you there's different ways of doing it. Right. But it's interesting to see these guys that have like always been like really jacked and then they start going like the very natural route and they lose all of... Yeah, I mean, Henning, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to be putting him on blast, but that dude was, was beast mode. I remember the first time I met him two or three years ago when I played Grounded Theory for him. I was like, whoa. I was like, dude. I was like, <laughs> I was like my man. <laughs> I want you on my side. Yeah. Uh, more of a simple one. Do you remember what your first record was that you ever bought? Yeah, I, I bought a couple of records. It was like I went to this old record store in in uh, Manhattan called um, Eight Ball. Mm-hmm. It's, obviously, it's not existing anymore. It's a sushi restaurant now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I bought Spastic, and then I bought a couple uh, like Junior Vasquez house records at the time. Nice. Yeah, still got them. Yeah, yeah, I do actually. Yeah. Um, Junior was a huge influence on my sound, and so so was Denny Tenegula, but Junior even more so yeah. with the technique because Junior was a monster DJ man. That's what I hear. I never, I never saw him play. And yeah. in fact, I mean, the whole uh, even though I was into tribal techno, the the New York house side, tribal side of things, that's something that came later for me as far as like my appreciation because it was a little bit, at the time, it felt like uh, quite diva-ish and a lot of whistles and shit. Yeah, but that was the, the end of when Junior was really good. When Junior was really good, there's like tons of mixtapes online, but if you could find like Junior's like Sound Factory tapes, um, he's playing like no bullshit, like ploy when it first came out. Okay. Like so hammering it. Hammering it, playing ploy, but then adding like a Deborah Cox or a Whitney Houston a cappella over it so that the gays and everybody was like Keep it going. Keeping it moving and like kinda like because those records are rhythmically, you know, tribal in a in a sense, you know, and they still organic. So like he's beating it and they still have these elements, but then he's making them bright by adding these a cappellas. Dude, it's an it was a real eye opening experience and watching someone you gotta put it in context. 1995 or whatever it was he was using a lexicon jam man to you know to fire these loops you know some delay pedals uh there's you know there was no there was no cdjs back then yeah you know it was a different time and and he was really just a sick dj man i mean so before we go on the next question like just dipping back into new york house a bit like so you had junior vasquez danny uh, who else would you kind of rate up there at the time? I, I mean, like, still to this day, you know, Timmy Regisford, outside of oh, yeah, New York, yeah. he's not very big. But in New York City, man, this guy's got like a 20-year career. Well, yeah, but I, I guess I shouldn't have said New York House, but like more on the tribal tip. But is, was Timmy more on the tribal tip? Yeah, well, Timmy, I always, Timmy is, a, is an oddball, man. Like, 
he he had some periods where he was playing some real beating music. You know, he went through like some really spiritual times. Yeah, and really deep stuff. That's kind of what I remember him for. Yeah, you know, and it's easy to put somebody in a box because that's what we do, right? Mm. But he was playing some heavy stuff for, for certain periods, and it was dope, man. And if you can find these records, they're not available anymore because obviously he's not pressing them, but. There was a label called Restricted Access, RA, and it kind of okay. looks like RA's logo, but it was before RA, I think, even existed. Those Restricted Access records, man, they pound. They're like Afro-tribal like techno records. They're, they're fire. Good thing I'm recording this so I can check it out later. <laughs> I forgot the name. Restricted Access? Yeah. Nice one. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. like the, the whole... I just, you know, because I, at that time... I was still pretty fucking young, and I didn't get into this till the late 90s. And at that point, I was into like drum and bass, experimental, and finally yeah. techno. So I wasn't paying attention to a lot of it, but it just seems like that whole scene out there was kind of crazy at the time. And I think also, was was Armin, was he in Boston or was he in New York at that time? He's or in was New he York. bouncing back and forth? Ar- Ar- Armin's the first d- big DJ. Like, you'd start going out in New York Armin City. Armin Helden, that is. For yeah, people. you'd start going to uh, parties, but you're not really into the music yet, right? But then when you start becoming like more aware of who you're going out to hear, when I first started going out, I, I went to Palladium, mm-hmm. and, and, and Armin Van Helden was the after-hours DJ after I think like a local who you probably would never heard of. His name is Charlie Casanova, and he was a really good DJ, Charlie, in his own right, but he was more like a radio DJ who would be playing for like, at the time, you know, all this music was on the radio in the 90s. And he'd be literally on like either 98.7 or KTU. I don't remember which one it was. Playing the house music from like a block, from like 10 to something. Mm-hmm. And then after him would either be Armin or David Morales. But Morales, Morales, Red Zone Morales, when Morales was a beast, you know. Also making it happen, huh? Yeah, making it happen. Like Morales, you know, everyone has like, you say certain names and they have instant uh, opinions about this person. You say Morales and like, you know, you get this kind of like... Especially in Europe, uh, you know, they think of like the big room kind of house diva shit. Same with Junior yeah, or like Danny Tenegula. But Danny was a monster, dude. You listen to his like Athens mix CD. That shit is like techno from, you know, f- straight through. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is, as always to this day, the media still paints the picture that they want to paint or they get paid, uh, paid to paint. Like I thought that Tenaglia was just like a whatever house guy up until let's say even 10 years ago and then my friend's like no man if you go hear him play in like Miami and do a marathon set he'll be dropping like Carrie like a bush and all this all shit. That shit man and it's like but you don't read about that in accelerator or whatever the magazines were out back then yeah. uh, or you know what I mean they just go on about his like global underground CD or some shit yeah, but that's the funny part like the global underground CD automatically gets put in a box as a progressive CD. The first one is the Athens one. That came out in 98, 99. Look at the track listing. It's like The Hacker, you know, Frank Sinatra. There's like Zvek Records, Dietrich Shaman, and like there's tons of badass stuff on there, you know, that's way deviant from Progressive House. Yeah, so I mean... It's just because it went on, you know, like like we were talking about before, audiences just make up their mind. Global Underground, oh... It's a word association, man. Word association, you know, you just make up your mind instantly. I hear you. Um, let's move on to the next questions, huh? Yeah, man. Um, Emmanuel wants to know what your impressions are of Berlin as a city, music, and the vibe. I think it's dope. I think uh, the city's alive. I, I think the food sucks. 
<laughs> yeah, I hear you. But uh, it's getting a lot better, but it's yeah. still got a long way to go. Yeah, it re- kind of reminds me. It's obviously not as fast paced as New York City, but mm-hmm. it reminds me of like in the nineties when it was kind of like had this edge and there's graffiti everywhere and it's a little bit dirty and you got bums and you know I like I like a little bit of the grit that's here. Yeah, you know I'm I'm feeling it. And it's a young city still, believe it or not. It's only like you know twenty years the wall's been down. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's cool, man. I I I dig the vibe. You still feeling? Uh, well, I mean, you you're not really. I mean, you you kind of past your like party uh, mode these days. Anyways, you're not going on partying much, and you're just not around on the weekends to hit the clubs. But from what you know of it, do you you're still feeling the party scene here? Yeah, or? I mean, like for me in general, I like to go out mm-hmm. because I I like to hear DJs play. Yeah, me too. You know, obviously we go out together. You know, and like I have a thing where I like to at least go out once a month. You know, yeah. if, if I have a weekend off. I'm gonna go out because I, I enjoy. I love. Yeah. I love everything. I actually prefer going out in Berlin because I think like Bergheim is the experience is phenomenal. I know it's like a cliche, yeah. but like I think the experience is is amazing, and I love the whole thing—the lights, the sound, how the whole room becomes like one piece of energy, and and I, I vibe off of it, man. Totally. I mean, I, it's funny because I think a lot of times people faux pas. The whole going out thing, if you're a DJ, like you talk to, and it doesn't matter if it's a techno or house, drum, bass, guy, like, oh, if I have time off, I ain't going out to a club. And I kind of get it because there's times where I don't want to go to a club either. But it's like they they basically say, like, I don't, I'm, I'm done going out. I just do this as a job now. And I'm like, then maybe you should take the back seat because this is still about having fun and having a passion for it. And it's like if you're only going out to do it as work and not enjoying it as a party goer or something then then you've, you've lost it or you there's there's something you're missing out on you know yeah man i mean like i would hate to be that person like i think this lifestyle going out and music you know people got their things like they like, like to go to concerts for me not that i'm going uh, there. i actually like to dance so like uh, for me i'm gonna go out i'm gonna you know do my two steps a little dance a little drink a little enjoy it and just take in the environment because i think it's heavily inspiring and and yeah, sometimes definitely. i get bummed out if i if i haven't gone out in, in a month you know yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's not like uh, you gotta hit hit the clubs or the bars every weekend, but like once a month, every couple months. Like, I think it's good to get out of the house and just kind of see what's going on, be around people. There's like a, still a communal thing, you totally, know what I'm man. saying? And, like, you know, and and that's the most important part. Like being out there, socializing, meeting people, hearing the music, hearing DJs play. It's it's inspiring. I love it. Cool. Uh, Roberto asks. Uh, what's the best record you've bought so far this year? Uh, there's a few records I, I, I like. I like uh, this Cliff Lothar record on uh, Vulex. Okay, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, it's badass. Man, I, I've got a lot of good shit lately. I'm trying to think of what's what's really doing it for me. I got this one called A Connection by Ratio mm-hmm. on 777. That might have actually came out at the tail end of last year I can't remember but for me that's one of those where it's not like it's not something I can play all the time but it has this almost like Dyrexia type feel to it where yeah. it's like you put on 10 years from now and you're like oh yeah it's a good thing I bought that record yeah and I mean I know this sounds like kind of lame because he's my buddy but I'd love Juan Silent Servants remix of Phase Fatale I, I heard that it's out but I haven't heard it yet oh, I, I play it all the time and I love that record yeah, I mean, yeah he's, one of my he's just favorites. going from strength to strength, man. Like watching him evolve in the Girl. last ten years since I met him, super awesome. Yeah, it's unbelievable, man. He's he's one of my he's really uh, killer DJ too. Phenomenal, 
Like if if I'm home and he's playing, I'm going out to see him. Like yeah, and I'm gonna sweat. Yeah, that silent servant. I don't know if we brought that up. We were talking referring. Yeah, to I said. It, I, oh, okay. I said one. But yeah, kick ass. Um, what's the best bit of technical advice you can share on the production front from Sean? I mean, that's you know that's a tough one. Uh, we, we've discussed. You know, we touched on a lot of things already on the production side. Um, yeah. I think you know maybe just, just one tip. I guess doesn't have to be the best one. I think finding your niche you know either if it's hardware or you know software and then just you know write and really just work on totally yeah just work on like what i learned on an early side was here's a tip was creating a a kit so like let's say it's your drums you create your drum kit and then you work sonically out of that drum kit you know Mm -hmm. and like that, w- that was like an early thing that Levon showed me. He's like, okay, create create a drum drum kit. You know, if it's you're making it from synthesizers or however you're gonna create this, but then that becomes your early drum kit, and then you move on as you grow. Nice. Yeah. I would reiterate what we said earlier, and that is, uh, just you gotta have you gotta put the feeling into it. You know, if you're doing something that sounds, if it sounds cool, big fucking deal. There's a lot of records that sound cool. Like, make sure that you know. You you feeling it when you you like it gets you going? Yeah, hell yeah. And I would also say, <clears throat> you know, I should take my advice more often too. Try and stand up when you're making music. It's really easy to get comfortable when you're sitting in a chair, but when you stand up and you kind of like jamming on a piece of gear or on the computer, it's it's a different process when you're standing up. Yeah, like I said before that I don't like to write so much, but in the early stages when I was learning how to produce, you know, and, and trying to get into my sound, I I was writing a lot. You know, yeah. and, and like I was writing, like you know, like it was like a thing, like you know, Levon's like you have to write a hundred tracks before you Dude, put you out your first one. You know, and I I wound up throwing out like an entire hard drive of music. Dude, it's like cooking, sports, anything in life. Like you got to practice it, and you got to practice yeah. it every day. That ten thousand hour rule is real deal. Oh, I I agree a hundred percent, man. Yeah, that ten thousand hour rule is real, man. You know, and like I think T plus plus told Marcel Detman, he's like, you know. You make ten hours of music, you know, mm-hmm. or like you know, if you think about that, how much that is. If you actually have ten hours of material before you put out your first track, that's that's a lot of music. That's just like Levon telling me to make a hundred tracks. That's the thing. Everybody feels the need to like, oh, I've been making records, uh, making music for two years. I should have a record out already. It's like, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe your third track you ever made is a fucking badass track. Totally possible realistically it's not so just make a ton of stuff man and yeah like in my in my early part of my career if i was the last one to really start putting out my solo music and that was because i wasn't fully confident in my 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 sound yet and i just didn't want to put out a track that sounded like any just anybody so i i was really super patient you know and and i i went through that whole trial and error period so kids Write 10 hours yeah. of music. Hit the books. <laughs> Hit the books. <laughs> uh, let's see. Is there anything else? That looks like that's about it for wrapping it up. You got anything you want to plug? Upcoming gigs, podcasts, releases, anything? Just keep up with... I, I'm not, not the best with uh, keeping up on my event stuff on my social media. So like RA would probably be the best place to know where I'm coming. But I'm you know steadily on the road nonstop. Uh, about to do an MDR tour 
uh, coming in April. I think it's like 15 dates. Me, Marcel, Patrick, uh, yeah, the whole crew be hitting the road hard. I think it starts at, at the MDR night starts on uh, uh, April 2nd at Bergheim. Yeah. And then we continue How many on. dates is it? It's going to be like 15 in April. Wow. Yeah, it's a hell a of a tour. Yeah, it's a big one. And then I go to Australia and Asia right off of that. Should be good. Damn. So, and if they're curious, they can also, they said Resident Advisor, uh, do they find info also on your Facebook Yeah, as well, Facebook, uh, Anthony Parasoli. Yeah, obviously. Super, super, yeah, I kept it simple. It's Instagram is Anthony Parasoli. It'll come up as to the corner or Twitter is useless. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I had my I had my fun with it, but I'm kind of done on it now. I mean, I like using it as a user because I follow like writers and I, you know, mm-hmm. breaking news, but like. Yeah, I mean, you post something and doesn't there's no traction. Gotcha. All right, here's your last chance. Put someone on blast. You could be in tomorrow's headlines. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm good on that. But I wish we, we were more funny, man. What the hell? We'll have you back when uh, you know we can have a couple of drinks and stuff. We're both kind of like grabbing for tissues and, and sneezing and shit. So, this is like way more serious than I intended it to be. I came here with the mindset that this was going to be... <laughs> Full on jokes and, and well, fuck you know, it. I'll just dick delete, sizes. I'll just delete this one right now. We'll start over, or we'll go to the bar after this and come back and record another. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, everybody take care. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>